You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. believe I got my lapel on. Can y'all hear me? Okay. The rain's making it a little hard for me to hear. There you go. So how's everybody doing this morning? Good? Glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. You ready to worship the Lord? Are you sure? Okay. I'm just making sure. I'm very glad to be here this morning. It's the first time I've gotten to spoke on uh, on a Sunday morning. And, but I've been acquainted with the church through John uh, and pa- Astor, actually, Patted, actually Pastor Curtis Coker is how I first got to know about the church here. When we, uh, when we started our church in, in the town we're in, he actually would come over on Wednesday nights and help us out a little bit. So that's kind of how I first got acquainted with you guys. And since then I've gotten to know several of your members. Uh, can you not hear? That's what I was wondering with the rain. In my building, I know how it sounds, you know, but in your building, I don't know as far as how, how loud it is. Can you hear me back there now? Did they, did they get it? No, it's just raining louder, right? So, so here's a good suggestion. Move forward. Move forward. Move forward. Amen. But actually, Israel, Arnold, and Whitney, y'all, y'all all know them, they, uh, they help us with our uh, youth camps every summer. We uh, kind of do our own specialized church camp with our kids. We go to uh, Beaver's Bend, and they come down and help us out. They also, them and your youth group, come and do our praise and worship service at our church some, and they're just such a blessing to, uh, to see what you, you guys are doing here with the youth and all the kids. Actually, my friend Tim this morning said in their church in Denison, they're wondering where all the kids are. And he said he figured it out. They're right here in Durant. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but before I get going this morning, I know a lot of you guys are not familiar with me. Uh, like I said, it's my first time to speak here. So I'd like just to give you a little background. They're, they're working on it. They're working on it. Try to give you a little background of of me. Who is Caleb? One thing about me is I believe in God. And I believe that this word that we read is the inerrant, infallible word of God. I believe that he sent his son Jesus Christ for my sin. And I believe that he was resurrected for my sin. And I believe he sits eternally at the right hand of the Father for my sin. That's right. And I believe if you take that for my sin part out, that is not the gospel. That's right. That is not the gospel. He came for your sins. And I believe that God is trying to do a great movement in this world today with the Christian people. And he's trying to give us all a revelation of who he's truly called us to be. Not a revelation of what you don't do right, but a revelation of what you can do because of His Son, Jesus. 
The world is getting tired of religion and they're wanting a relationship with Jesus. They're wanting things to change inside their life. We say we believe in the Bible and we say we believe what it says, but we still live in too much worry and we still live in too much stress. We still live with too much sickness. So if we believe it, then I'm ready to receive it. Amen. Yeah. And we got to get to a relationship with Jesus to do that. And we don't get to a relationship with Jesus going and hearing teachings of how you're not good enough. Of how all of your sin and all of your problems and all of your challenges and struggles are going to keep you from, from the goodness of God. You're not going to develop a relationship like that. Because he does not focus on that. He does not look upon that. Do you understand? Amen. When he looks down at congregations and churches and believers, when he's looking down from above, he don't see black. He don't see white. He don't see Hispanic. He sees the blood of Christ. He sees red. He sees red. That's all that he sees. Churches sometimes preach about the cross too much. There's a lot of people that went to that cross, but it's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. It's about the blood that sanctified us. Amen? It's about the blood that sanctified us. I was talking to a woman, elderly lady one time, and she was talking about her grandchildren. That in the summer that they would love to come to her farm where her and her husband had this farm. Her grandchildren lived in the city. And one summer while her grandchild was there, he was in the living room and he noticed this, this old, dingy, frailed Bible sitting on the stand, coffee stand there in the living room. And she, he said, Grandma, what is, what is this book here? And she said, oh, son, that's, that's the family Bible. It's been in our family for hundreds and hundreds of years. It, it's, it's falling apart. You, don't touch it, whatever you do. Said so later that afternoon, Y'all know what's fixing to happen, right? She said later that afternoon she had been outside and she had left the grandchildren taking a nap on the couch. And she come back in the house to check on him. And when she did, she walked in there and the grandson had went over there to that Bible and he had noticed Grandma wasn't around. He, knew, he could tell Grandma wasn't around. So he goes to the Bible and he starts flipping through the pages and looking at it in curiosity. And he, he holds it up and he's turning the pages and a leaf falls out of the Bible and it flutters through the ground and it lands on the ground. And The leaf was perfectly pressed. It had been in the Bible for so long. And about this time is when Grandma shows up. He's bent down. He picks the leaf up. And he's up there holding this leaf and turning it and looking at it. and He's trying to figure out what this is. Grandma walks in and says, Boy, what are you doing? He said, Grandma... I'm not sure, but I think Adam's underwear fell out of the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I like to enjoy church and not endure church. Amen. We're here with family. We're, we're here with brothers and sisters united in Christ, and we should have fun, and I believe that. Is this, is this a spirit-filled church? Yeah. Amen. So it's okay to have fun in church, right? So if I get a little wild this morning, you know I'm having fun. You know, this morning, all across the world, there's two different 
messages that I will call it being preached. I won't call it two different gospels. There's only one gospel. But I'll call it two different messages. There's a message of hell and condemnation. There's a message that says if you don't act good enough, you don't do things good enough, that God's not accepting of you, and that's why those problems are coming over your life. There's a message of that. Then there's a message being preached of how God loves you, how God has chosen you, and how God has chosen to work miracles and blessings into your life by the grace of God, not by your actions and your works. There's two different ones. And there's a lot of people not in church because they're trying to figure out which one's right. They're trying to figure out which one is right. The reality of it is, is we're confused as a society. We are too confused on who God is. We, we think that sounds strange because we all know who God is, right? But I have come to find it's really not that strange when you go to asking and talking to people. This, this kind of encountered a, a time in my life when I wanted to know who is God because so many times we focus on what God is. When we refer to God, it's become just a three-letter word. It's just, we talk about our God, it's just a word. We're, we think more about what He is instead of who He is. Y'all right. with me? If you go in the Bible or in the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, when you look at a God, you, know, you do understand that there are many people that worship forms of gods. Not, we know that they're wrong. There's only one true one. We know that as, as Christians. But there are people all over this world that worship what they call different forms of gods. And when you go into Webster's Dictionary, it says that a god is a supernatural being that is thought to have power over human and animals and, and is a form of a deity. So that, that is what, what a God is. And so many times I believe that's what we, we think of when we think of God. It's the what He is instead of the who He is. The reason that we're so confused about the who He is is I don't think we've let the Bible give us the revelation of who He is. The Bible from Genesis to Revelations, and this is why you need to read it from Genesis to Revelations, is, is constantly giving us little descriptors about God in who He is versus what He is. And it kind of sums it all up in 1 John 4 when it says with three powerful words that God is love. God is love. As believers of the gospel, we know that God is love. But can I, can I explain to you, there's a lot of people in this world that don't. They're not trying to serve God incorrectly. I don't even believe those preachers preach those messages they preach on purpose. They lack a revelation in who God is. They lack a revelation. That's why I say God is moving across this, this country and He is wanting to give us all a revelation. Because once a revelation occurs in your mind, the old is gone. That's Praise true. God. Amen. The old is gone. And that's what He wants us to do. That old mindset, that legalistic mindset, get rid of it. 
I find it funny that Gentiles, as we're Gentiles, right? You eat bacon. I find it funny as Gentiles how we place ourselves under this, this law mentality and covenant because we never have had a covenant with God through a law covenant. Never. But yet we've still placed this through that, right? And then people nowadays, you hear this word all the time, feel-good preachers. Oh, it's just another, another church with a feel-good preacher. Just health and wealth and prosperity. What are they preaching? The gospel. <laughs> That's what we're preaching, the gospel. But you hear this new term all over the place. You hear it about Joel Osteen and various uh, uh, T.D. Jakes and all these, these big, big preachers, these big megachurches. You hear it all the time, you know. And everybody's speaking against them. And I think, you know, there was a man that walked this earth one time that spoke about the love of a God and talked about how he was accepting of everyone and how he was going to give into all. And everybody thought he was crazy. That's right. And they killed him. That's right. Wow. Hmm. Hmm, maybe them feel-good preachers are on to something. But, but why have we just started seeing this kind of preaching? A little background on myself. I am an old farm boy, country boy, as country as you get. That's the way I was raised. And I met my wife, and same thing. She's born in the same, same area, same town that we live in, in Cooper. As John said, it's Cooper, it's not Cook, Cooper. It's Cooper. Cooper. Right, we, have to, we have to correct people of that. Yeah. And, and they, the best way I can explain it is you don't say kook, you say cook. Right. You know, he's the cook. Same way, Cooper. But God laid it on my heart to start ministering into our town. Now, I've never been to seminary. I've never had any proper teaching. Never been shown how to speak over crowds of people or anything, but God called me to preach. Amen. What are you thinking? <laughs> and I struggled with this for a lot of years. I did. And I finally went to my wife one night and I said, darling, I can remember it. I was sitting on the bed and she was getting ready in our bathroom, looking in the mirror. I'm going to say it. And I said, honey, I said, uh, I think the Lord is calling me to preach. And she looked at me and she said, well, I think he called the wrong number. <laughs> and the reason was, this was not my background. I wasn't a churchy person. I didn't go to church all the time. I, I was a country redneck country boy. And when I went to church, I'd go Baptist, you know. And... I'm not saying nothing. I'm not saying nothing. So we start this church. I don't remember. We started it in back, kind of a back, it was kind of a family deal, really. We really didn't go out to start a church. It was more of a deal for our family. That we could worship the Lord as we chose to worship the Lord. That we could read the Word as we chose to read it. That we could actually go to the Word in the way that you should go to the Word, which is not to prove your point right or wrong, but to let itself reveal itself unto you. Amen. Going to it with an open mind. And we started doing this. And there was five of us. 
And before that long, five turned into 10, 10 turned into 20, 20 turned into 30, and was at 80 people, and we're in a one-room holiness chapel, 100-year-old holiness chapel is where we're at, where we're renting it and we're using it. And it's shoulder to shoulder. And then we're, so we're looking for a, new, for a new building, and there's an old Chevrolet deal, dealership in our town that in 2009, well, you remember when the economy crashed in 2009, they had went bankrupt, and they had closed the Chevrolet, Chevrolet dealership down. And my mother's a banker, and she actually held the note for the bank, for the, for the dealership. And I told her, I said, you need to talk to them about us going up there. And she said, oh, we don't, we don't need that. Well, that thing's so big. Hold so many people. There's, there's no reason. I said, yeah, I know, but it'd be easy. Oh, they would never do it. We could never afford it. You know, because one thing in our town, one of the reasons people won't go to church is because they feel like church is all about taking your money. And so we've had to, you know, at the early stage of our church, we had to remove that barrier. And for that, we didn't get a lot of support until we could later grow the people in the understanding that that tithing is really for you. But argument after argument, I finally, I finally went up to the bank and talked to them. They said, you know what? Just use it. We'll let you just use it for six months. And then on our first service in the new building, another lady came up to me and said, what's the, what's the term of the contract? And I said, well, they're going to let us use it for six months. And she said, well, what's it going to cost after that? And I told her the price, and she wrote me a check for the other six. So, so we were good to go for a year. We moved into the showroom, which would hold about 150 people. We thought we'd be doing good to get to that point because we was coming over here with 80. Within the second service, it was standing room only. We then had to move into the, what was the service shop with the car lifts and all of this, you know, I mean, and they were still in there. Wash bay, I mean, we are redneck serving God, amen. amen. We moved back there and within, within the year we were at 400 people. And in our town, we have about 800 in the town, 1,200 in the county. It blew up so fast, but let me tell you how we, we, we did that through God. One, we grew confident in ourselves, in who God has called us to be. My wife and I didn't, didn't do this without the work of God and without the understanding. He called us to do this. Be the kid that ran around the square drunk on Friday nights that was in jail from fighting all the time. Even had a few streaks across the square, you know? And now you're starting a church in the town. Think about the ridiculing. Think about all the, the talking. Jesus even said it is hard to do what? Pastor in your own town. And not, not, not that you're wrong for doing it, but that people can't forget the past. Right? But we took the challenge because we were confident that Jesus was calling us to do it. Right? And we also did it by not telling the people about all their problems. That's right. We don't point out their problems. How many of you in here know you've got problems you need to work on? <laughs> so you don't need me to tell you, right? So it's safe to say Jesus and God did not call me here to point out your wrongdoings. He called me here to teach you how to change them. He taught me, sent, sent us here to teach you the power of the Holy Spirit that you have. 
Because here's the thing with that one way of preaching, the dangling you over the fire of hell preaching. People get scared. We call it a scare tactic. And they come before the Lord and they laid it all, and I believe they do, that from their heart they lay it all. I believe it. And they leave thinking, all that old stuff I'm doing, I can't do it anymore to be a child of God. And they try. And they try hard. And they pray. And they pray hard. But about six months into the deal, you know what they figure out? They can't change it all. And from the way I just accepted the Lord was that because of these things I am separated, so because I can't get rid of them, I'm still what? Separated. They die out. You, you see this happen. You go to revivals and you have all this big turnover and they all go to church, but about six months down the road, what? They disappear. Why? They've given up. Because in their mind, if they couldn't fix these things, they were separated from God. But then there's the correct way to preach the gospel, which is bring somebody in and explain to them, God totally accepts you as you are. He totally loves you as you are. What you're doing today, He accepts you. It says He chose you before the foundation of the world. So it says before you were even at this point in your life, He's accepted you. He knew you was going to be here. He knew what you were going to be doing. But He says, I choose you. Praise God. And when you will come to the understanding of this, the power of the Spirit will be released into your life. And those things you want to change, you can now change with the power of God. You can now change it with the power of God. You never could on your own in the flesh, but you can now change it with the power of God. See, that's what we learned and what we're seeing all over this country. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special, John and Ann will admit, there's nothing special about them. There's nothing special about my wife other than God has called us and His Spirit lives inside us. Amen? That's it. I think today so many people don't realize the value of their voice, how powerful their voice is, how that one person that only you could talk to, how you could change a life. You want to pull him into the pastor. But God's saying, I don't need him to go to the pastor. He won't listen to the pastor, but he'll listen to you because he's your friend. You go watch movies with him. You go to the movies with him. You go to, you, he's got his barriers down. He'll listen to you. And that's where we are. And so it all comes back to truly trying to understand God and who he is. And what he's made us to be. If you've got your Bibles this morning, let's go to the first of Genesis. First book of Genesis. I always like to, when we're looking at things in scriptures, I always like to go back to where it's first mentioned. Because we see the pureness of something. We see the, the, the true heart in something. And so many times in the Bible I find myself, or being questioned about things, I find myself going back to the creation. Because this is the pureness of God's plan. And thinking in the sense this morning of who God is and not what He is, trying to get down to the who He is, it says this in Genesis 1.1. If you're there this morning, say amen. amen. And, I, and I apologize, I'm going to be reading in a different version because I forgot my Bible at home, but anyway. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and He created the earth. And the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was now over the depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there light was. Now, these three verses are much more than a history lesson. Honestly, I, I believe as a Christian, the foundation of your beliefs come from right here. The foundation of your understandings come from right here. There's something much more deep about what was just said here. This teaches you how to live life. This teaches you who your God is. This teaches you how your God does things. One thing it says that he walked out over the, the earth and there was darkness and it was void, right? There was no life in it. How many of you have got dark and void things in your life right now? Amen? You got them? We all got them. So what did he did, or what did he do? He didn't say that he went, oh boy, whoo, sure is dark out here. I can't see a thing. I wish there was some light. That's what we do in our lives. Boy, the bank account sure is low. I don't know I'm going to pay the bills. I, I will, I'm going to have to take a second job. I don't what I'm going to No. It said that he looked over the darkness and he said, light be. God speaks a different language than us. God don't point out his needs. He don't point out his problems. He don't point out what's not working out for himself. He speaks what he needs. He speaks what he needs. He sees darkness and he wants light there to be, so he says, light be. But let's think about this, though. Light be. Now, in a couple of more verses, if you keep reading, you see that he creates light again. He creates the moon and he creates the stars. Right? So what light is he referring to right here? The first thing he creates, light. Himself, the magnification of himself into the earth, into the world. Nothing could be created of this earth unless it was created from him. Right? So the first thing he had to create was to put himself, the manifestation of himself, into the world. That's why everything is possible for a child of God. Because everything of this world has him. And where he is at, he is in agreement with himself. So when he said unto Adam, you have dominion, you have control over this earth, over this land, over everything that crawls, every creepy crawl, you have control over it. Everything that was created has that agreement inside it that agrees with your word when you agree with it. That makes sense? It agrees with your word when you agree with it. That's what Brother Dylan was saying this morning, is that it is when we come in agreement with the word, and that is the truth. You have to come into agreement with the word. Now, talking about this again, this, this who God is, and keeping this first little part of creation in mind that we'll, we'll refer to some more, in Psalm 78, it says that God is full of compassion. In Psalms 86, it says that God is full of compassion. He's gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and in truth. Psalms 145 says that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, of great mercy, and has His mercies over all of His work. How many of you here are God's workmanship? So His mercies are over you. Understand that. His mercies are over you. Come in agreement with that word. And the Bible goes on and on, and it continues to explain Him in these, these revelations many times. But what was the common denominator that we found between all those passages? That He is full of compassion. 
Psalm 78 is full of compassion. Psalm 78 is full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He is full of compassion. God is compassion. So compassion, the word compassion, is more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. It's who God is. Amen. Compassion is who God is. Think about this. If you're a compassionate person, how many of you know compassionate people? How many of you would say you are a compassionate person? Now your husband or wife's looking at you crazy right now. What? I don't see that compassion. Where, where, where did you get that, you know? But no, it's true. We all, we all have compassion, compassion about us. Because that's who God is. And we're all workmanship of God. How many of you have children? How many of you have had struggles with those children? You still love them, but they're children. I've got a daughter. She's uh, 14 years old. She, she's about to be 15. And I'm her favorite. Amen. Right? That is changing. Me and her have always been very, very, very close. I mean, like unusually close. I mean, like when she should go talk to mama about whatever's occurring right now in her life, she comes and talks to me. And, but now she's changing. And, and the problem is she's becoming the F word. A female. She's becoming a female. And she's getting hormones. And things are changing. You understand? And I don't know what to do. Because we've been so close. And everything with her has always been so easy. And now it's changing. Right? She's becoming a female. We love y'all. But she's becoming a female. And I don't understand what it's like to be a female. And so now her and mama are getting closer. Praise God. I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm happy for that. But I've, as a dad, I've been, I've been going through this and like, am I losing her? You know, I hear stories about daughters and dads really like completely drifting apart and there's no way I would want that because we've always been so close and so many things. We're, we're so alike in so many ways and and the other day, you know, you know, you even come in the house now. And used to, I come in the house, and I expect when I walk into my house that my family be happy to see me. Right? When I walk in the door, I, I kind of want it to be like I love Lucy. You know, hey, Ricky, you know, honey, I'm home. Hey, you know, and everybody come give me a big hug. And, and, and actually, if I walk into my home and I don't get that, I normally will close the door and I'll go back out and I'll say, let's try this again. <laughs> Ask my wife. Amen. I do it. It's okay to have, to be ex expected to be loved in life. It's okay to expect to be loved in life. But now I'll come home, and I'll open the door, and my daughter will be sitting there in the chair, and she's got this look. I don't know where this look comes from, but all of a sudden this look is there. And it's one of those kind of looks that I'm like, Hey, hey, dear. Hey, dear. And I just want to get through the living room, you know. I, I don't even want to say anything because I don't know what's fixing to happen. And some days I walk in and she's got that look on this side of the room and my wife's got that look on this side of the room and I'm really running fast like a street. 
So things are changing with our relationship. And, and I wonder, am I still in there? What I've raised her to be, what I've trained her to be, what I've taught her to be, who I've told her she was, is it still in there? Yesterday, I was driving her to Honey Grove, Texas, which we learned your uh, uncle, your family has a church there in Honey Grove, Texas. Casey's family. We actually found out that Casey's granddad used to preach at a church in Cooper. Yeah, he was there, John Holler, he said. So, I was driving her to her, to her friend's house because my daughter plays uh, select, high select, soft, fast softball. And she plays all over Texas, all over Oklahoma, just all over the place every weekend. She's pretty good. So we just had to take her to a friend's house because we were going to be here to get her to the games and stuff. And as we're driving, I'm listening to the radio, you know, and I'm listening to, can I be honest? ZZ Top. Love Leonard Skinner, you know, I'm, I'm a real person, okay? Might preach, but I'm real. And then my daughter's like, oh, Dad. Turns the radio over to her phone, and now we're playing something about Cakes by the Beach. Anybody know this song, Cakes by the Beach? And I'm like, that's the stupidest song I've ever heard, Cakes by the Beach. And she's like, Dad. And I'm like, what? She said, it's not talking about cakes. I said, well, it's what it said, cakes by, yeah. And I'm like, oh. So I've like found out with that new kind of music that it's best for me just to keep my mouth closed because I don't know what the new words mean. And so I'm not saying nothing and she's playing her little music and doing her different stuff, you know. And then all of a sudden, comes on Sweet Home Alabama. All of a sudden, comes on Credence Clearwater Revival. <laughs> Things that her friends would look at her and say, what in the world is that? Right? Here's the deal. She don't even know why she likes that music. She just heard it all of her life. It was around her all of her life. It was something for me to say, you know what, she's still mine. There's things that she likes and she don't even know why she likes. There's things that she does and she don't even know why she does it, but it's because she comes from me, right? There's things implanted in her that she cannot change. You're the same with your God. There's things implanted in you that you cannot change. You don't know why you do it. You don't know why you have that feeling, that emotion, that desire to help. You don't know why. It's because of God. It's because He lives in you and He created you. Even though you can't understand it and they can't make sense of it, don't mean that it is not real. And that is why you have a compassionate heart at times. It's because God is absolute compassion. I was reading a book one time about the, the book of absolutes. And it, it was really a boring book. It's an engineering book. But if you're an engineering guy, it was kind of interesting, you know. And it's kind of it's what I do in my career. It's talking about the absolutes. And if something is absolute, it means it has to be 100%. And it was talking about temperature. And it was saying for there to be absolute zero temperature means that all heat is removed. There can be no heat at all present. And that at absolute zero, if you could measure it on thermostat, would be somewhere around negative 435 degrees Fahrenheit. Negative four is where you would find absolutely no trace of heat left at all. 
And as I got to thinking about this, my God is full of compassion. He's full of love. He's full of mercy. He's full of long-suffering. He's full of these things. A lot of times we say things are full, but they're not really full. Somebody comes up to you and says, the waitress comes up, do you need to fill your glass up? No, my glass is full. And you look at it, no, it's not full. It still lacks a little bit, right? And even if it was brim full, it's still not full of tea because you've got ice in it, and that ice is not tea. And you know this because when it goes to melting and you get a drink, it's watered down, right? Because it's not 100%, it's not absolute. But the Bible says that he, that he is full of grace. He is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. If He is full of it, there is nothing else can fit in the realm of who He is. You understand that? So when I got to thinking about this, then, then that means that God is actually an absolute. He is an absolute. He is absolute love. He is absolute compassion. He is absolute mercy. He is absolute long-suffering. There is no hint of any evil, of any hatred found in Him. That's how He loves us. That's why He loves us. That's why we can't understand because of what we do. Because there's only love. There's only mercy. There's only compassion inside of Him. He's an absolute. He's wanting you to grow absolute faith. There's no ounce of worry. There's no ounce of doubt. He's wanting you to grow that way. Psalms 145 says that God is always and forever good. We say that God is good. And all the time, right. But that's, that's the truth. God is good. God does not do bad things. John and I was talking about this the other day. You know, people think that when a tornado hits a town or does something like that, they'll think that's the, the wrath of God coming out on them. It's not. We do live in a lost and fallen world. And sometimes things happen that ain't fair or ain't right. But it don't mean it came from God. Because God is good. God is an absolute. He is absolute mercy, absolute long-suffering. Are you getting this? He's an absolute in your life. He's the one thing that's never going to change in your life. He is the one constant that will always be proven true inside your life. How many times have you ever proven the Word of God wrong? Got quiet. You'll never do that if you understand what it's truly telling you and what it's reading unto you. So if we take this that we've just talked about, that God is an absolute and He's absolute love, He's absolute mercy, He's absolute compassion, this is who He is, right? If I went up to, to Tim here and I said, Hello, who are you? He'd say, My name's Tim, Tim Randolph. But that didn't just tell me who he is, did it? No, who, who are you? You've got to get into the descriptor. What, what, what do you like to do? What makes you you? That's, that's the God. That's, that's absolute love, absolute mercy, absolute compassion, right? So if you start taking in the Bible when you're reading in the Bible and it says God did this, God created that, that's the, the what? Y'all talk to him this morning. That's... God's is the what, right? That's what we're looking at. When we read that in scriptures, we're seeing the what. But after what we've learned this morning, what if you take it and start implanting the who when you start reading that scripture? Let's read that scripture over again this morning. Genesis 1 
says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? So again, let's put the who he is instead of the what he is. And it says in the beginning, love, compassion, and goodness created the heavens and the earth. Or better yet, the absolute. In the beginning, absolute love. No ounce of anything else. Absolute love, mercy, and compassion created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Does that start giving you a new perspective of who your God is? Even very, let's, go, let's go to the book of John. Let's go to John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1. There's a good revelation in the beginning of the, the book of John about God. And it becomes very powerful when we start plugging in the who He is. If you're there this morning, say amen. amen. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right? But let's stop and let's plug in again what we've learned this morning. In the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with love, compassion, and goodness. And the Word was love, compassion, and goodness. And He was in the beginning with love, compassion, and goodness. And all things were made through love, compassion, and goodness. And without love, compassion, and goodness, nothing was made that was made. Love, compassion, and goodness was life. And life was in the light of men. Does this give you a new revelation of your God this morning? There is no evil. There is no evil ever going to be taken against you from God because it doesn't exist. It says, in the beginning was love, compassion, and goodness. In the beginning, there was love, compassion, and goodness. And everything was made by love, compassion, and goodness. So you start reading in the Bible, and teachers in classrooms today, when they teach, there, there's, a, there's a trick to how they do it. It's no secret. It's called repetition. They say things over and over in different ways, so it don't sound repetitious, but different ways they repeat things over and over and over. And God is full of compassion, meaning compassion don't work unless you have somebody to give to, unless you have somebody to take care of, unless you have something that has a need, right? You can't be a compassionate person worrying about yourself, wanting to take care of yourself. Only worried about what's, what you're getting or not getting. Compassion only works and only is applied if it's applied to somebody else. Right? So if God is absolute compassion, we wonder sometimes why would, he, why would he have ever made Adam and Eve? He already had heaven. He already had the angels. He already had all these things. Why did he want earth? Why did he want us? Because he's absolute compassion. And compassion does not work unless you have somebody to give your goodness to. You understand that? God wants to bless you because He's absolute compassion. He needs you to give to. It makes Him happy to take care of you. But you've got to come in agreement with that Word. You've got to live under the fullness of that Word, right? And then, it said that He blessed Adam. Think about this. A lot of times people say that we were made from the, the dirt of the ground, right? That's what the Bible says. We, he took dirt, he made Adam. So we are made from the dirt of the ground. But can I tell you that's actually kind of incorrect this morning? It said he took the dust and the dirt of the ground and formed the body of Adam. And then it said he brought life into Adam when he breathed into his mouth or into his nostrils, right? Y'all with me? I'm not, I'm not misquoting, right? I don't know about you, but when I speak, 
there's air coming out of my mouth. There's air coming out of my mouth. And this is just kind of the way I have this whole thing pictured. He took the dust and the dirt and he created the body of Adam. But if life wasn't there yet, obviously the body was, he was dead. It was gray, it was dingy, there was no life in it. And, and here God is, holding up Adam, nose to nose. I believe at this point, the heavens stopped, the birds stopped chirping, because never before had any angel seen something that was made in the image of God. This is the first time thing. Everything else God created was an original plan. It was an original blueprint. There was no trees before. There were no birds before, deer, cattle. There was none of that before. It was an original, but not you. You're made in the image of something. You're made in the pattern of God Himself. And He's holding Adam up, nose to nose. And the Bible said He blessed him and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Have control over all of the land I give unto you. As he's speaking this, the air is going into the nostrils. of Those words are the very words that brought life to Adam. Those are the first words he ever used. I'm sorry, the first words he ever heard in his life. Be fruitful, multiply, prosper, have control, have dominion over the land. I give this all unto you. What if you could erase everything you knew and could replace it with that? God telling you, be fruitful, multiply. I give you control over all of the land, over all the fish of the sea, over all of creepy crawly that comes over this thing. That means even the sickness you are to speak because you have control over it. Do you understand that? But it says, he blessed them and said. You know, we pray to God so much for blessings and miracles and, and changes in our life. Wanting him to just fix the situation. We want to wake up the next morning and it's just gone. It's over. God, whoo, praise God. I would like that, wouldn't you? But how many times does it work that way? It can work that way. God can do anything. But how many times does it work that way? Because we forget the blessing. It says he blessed them and said... He didn't bless them and give them children. He didn't bless them and give them money. He didn't bless them and give them the fish. He, didn't bl he blessed and said, go be. Amen. When God says something, that's the way it is. It's already done. It's already developed. It's already in place. It's already there. You walking in fulfillment of blessings is you walking to the deity of the divine plan that he's already made for your life. Yeah. Before the beginning of the earth before the foundation of the world. He already set them in place. Miracles are when everything's done went bad. There's no more hope. Don't pray for miracles. They're good and to take them if God gives them. But walk in the fulfillment of blessings and the understanding. God's already given me prosperity. He's already given me health. He's already given me blessings. He's already multiplied me. He's already made me fruitful. He's already given me all things because He said, go be. In the very book of Genesis, it talks over and over about God created the trees. He said, He said, He said, and so it was, and so it was, and so it was. Amen. See, not only was He creating 
children of his that he could be compassionate to, but he was also creating a family of creators. A family to take control of this land. A family to take control of your life. And he showed you how to do it when he showed, opened up the very first book of the Bible in Genesis 1. It says, he said, he said, he said, he said, and it was, and it was, and it was, and it was. Repetition. He's trying to tell you how to create change over into your life. I'm not a mad God. I'm not a God that gets angry at you. I'm not a God that's going to get upset with you. Actually, I said to the prophet Jeremiah that with my new covenant is established, I will not see their sins no more. I will not even acknowledge it anymore. Praise God for that. What he is saying is I'm not going to see them as a sinner. I'm not going to see them in their wickedness. I'm never going to see them in the image that the devil has conjured up and put inside their minds. I'm not going to see them that way. I will only see them as holy and blameless in my sight. I will only see them in the image of which I created them out of me. Praise God. Glory to God. Praise God. Wonderful. But I do want to leave you with this this morning. God is equipped. God is ready. He is willing. And He is able. But He needs you. Do you understand that? You want change in your life? You're going to have to get up and do something about it. You want the blessing to come for fulfillment? You're going to have to get up and do something about it. Sometimes, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but sometimes we pray too much about something. And I don't mean that in the wrong way. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. But you're saying, God, please, please give me the word. Please give me the revelation. He says, I've told you five times, but you keep saying it ain't possible. I've told you to go ask for forgiveness here. I've told you to give forgiveness there. I've told you to plant a seed of love here. But you say they won't take it. They won't accept it. It'll never work. I'm doing my part. It's time to get up and do ours. Understanding that walking by faith means that we walk in ways beyond our understanding. After feeding 5,000, Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him while he went to the top of the mountain to pray. Are you with me? You know where I'm at. And it said later that night before dawn fell, or, dust, or the sunlight come over the oceans, he walked out to the boat where Peter and some of the other disciples were. And there was a storm. It was kind of, kind of getting bad. And it said that when Peter and them seen Jesus walking on the water, they were scared. I mean, I don't blame them. You would be too, right? I mean, so here comes some dude walking out across the water. Yeah, I'm whew. So they got terrified and they were talking amongst themselves. Is this a ghost? What, what is this that's coming? And Jesus said, oh, do not be afraid, for it is I, Jesus. And Peter says, now Jesus, if, if that's really you, then tell me to come out on this water. What was he doing? He said, Jesus, if that is you, prove it. Tell me to do something that's impossible. Right? That's what he was doing. He said, tell me to do something that is impossible. And it said that Jesus said, come. And that Peter stepped out of the boat and he, he walked on that word. Again, in your life, what's bringing the physical fulfillment that you want to be seen in your life is the words. When they say it, it puts everything in place. Jesus was walking on the water like it was no big deal. 
Why? He understood he has control of the water. He understands it has to follow and obey him. He understands what God and the authority that God has given him. It ain't no big deal to him. So when Peter said, tell me to walk on the water, he's like, well, okay, come on. What's, what's the big deal about that? Because everything is under our control. Think about it. Can you imagine being a, a brother of Jesus? You know, he had, he had a couple brothers, you know. I can just imagine one brother. Kids being loud in the house, you know, and mom, this isn't in the Bible. This is my, my thought. Mom getting kind of tired of the kids. Kids, y'all go outside and play. Get out of the house. Y'all y'all driving me crazy, you know. Y'all ever get that way? Y'all go down to the city pool and go, go swim or something. Mom, no, Mom, I don't want to go down there with Jesus. Why not? Oh, we show up. He always showing. He'd just be walking on top of the water and just... Showing out all the time. And then, then you got John, right? You got John. He had a big test at school the next day, and he didn't study. Instead, he wanted to be playing and, you know, doing something different. He wasn't prepared. He didn't want to go to school. Mom, <coughs> I, don't, I don't feel good, too good today, Mom. What's wrong, John? I, I'm sick. I'm, sh I'm shivering. I'm cold. i got fever. I can't go to school today. Are you sure? Yeah. And then about that time, here comes Jesus. Healed. Oh, man. Because if you... I thought I just had this worked out, but Jesus just healed me. Because Jesus can prove the impossible. And that's what Peter was telling him to do, prove the impossible. But here's what I'm going to leave you today, and I'm going to leave you this time. There were other disciples in that boat other than Peter. But Peter's the one that stepped out of the boat. How many of you want miracles in your life? How many of you want blessings? How many of you want change? You want to see the fulfillment of God inside your life. You want, to be, to, you want things to happen that makes no sense. You want things to happen that the world says can't. You, are you there this morning? Is that where you want to be? You've got to be willing to step outside the boat. You can't stay in the security of the boat. You can't stay inside the, the legalistic teachings of the boat. Okay, you'll get to heaven. Okay, you'll get there. But what about now? What about your life now? What about the struggles now? Get out of the boat. Step out into the waters of the things that you don't understand. Walk by faith. Walk out there in the, the area of life where things happen beyond your understanding. Where you truly give your life unto God. Because you understand your God is a good God. There is nothing He's going to bring against you that is bad. You can come to Him in confidence because He's already accepted you. It is not your performance that makes Him love you. It is your belief and your faith that makes Him love you. It is your belief and your faith that makes things work over your life. It is your belief and your faith that edifies His kingdom. Praise God. Do you receive it this morning? Let's go to the Lord. Dear Father, Lord, I just pray this morning that Something I babbled about this morning, Lord, I just pray that something would sink in to make people understand that you're a good God, that you love us. And the way that that is is because there is no, there is no anger in you. There is no evil in you. There is no, no meanness in you. There is nothing in you that is vindictive and that wants to pay us back because your absolute love, your absolute mercy, and your absolute compassion. 
Lord God, let our voices call out to you and be willing to step out on that word in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.